Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. My name is Ben Fuquay, and I'm one of the pastors here um, in the college ministry. And, uh, and we're going to use some technology today because we are jumping into a huge text today. And I really want us to understand and have a really good picture for it. And I realize that, um, just so you know, I know that you guys can't actually tell what this says. And that's okay, because I'm going to use this. We're going to put all the slides up on the screen. But also, if you've got a Bible flip through through that. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. I think we're running out, but we ordered some more. If you find a Bible um, that's a black uh, ESV Bible, take it. There should be maybe a couple left on those back uh, tables. But we preach through uh, the Bible. And so this, if you're a guest with us, uh, this um, semester, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And just kind of verse at a time, uh, we just walk through scripture. Today, we're going to be covering all of chapter seven. And it is going to be a really, I think, fun, but really interesting sermon that's going to be kind of just a, a fire hose. And let me tell you why we do uh, what we do, um, how we approach scripture. We really believe the Bible is authoritative. So in the, in the search for what is true and what is real, where we land on as a ministry in the church is we say, man, we think this is true. We think this is real. We think this is God's word to us. And we think that not only is this true um, as a historical document, but it is also something that applies to our lives and applies to your lives and affects how you live on a day-to-day basis if um, we properly understand it. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to kind of have this uh, up here on the screen to really just show you, preview how we're unpacking chapter 7. I realize you can't read all of this nuance, but I really just want to show you kind of big picture uh, what we're doing. And so... um, because we're covering such a big section, um, I want to pray one more time and really just pray that the Lord would um, speak through his word and then also just really speak through me and that I would be able to get out of the way and that he would show up and he would uh, really reveal to us what he has for you uh, this morning because not only is God's word authoritative, um, we believe it's massively relevant for you as a 18 through 20-something, or I, we got some 40, 50-year-olds in the room, way to go on that, dads. Um, we love that y'all are here. But we believe it's massively relevant for you. And so, uh, man, let me pray one more time just to, just to kind of center us on, on what's really important, which is God speaking up here. Father, would you do what only you can do uh, this morning, Lord? I praise you for how we can come to you in worship. Um, God, I praise you how we get to come to your word, Lord, and how you've spoken through your word. And I praise you for that. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak, that it wouldn't be about me, it wouldn't be about a sermon or points or slides, God, but that you would show up and make much of yourself through your word in a way that, God, not only we might understand more of, but also we'd be able to respond to in sweet ways. And God, I pray we would leave this room changed a little bit um, and maybe a lot um, that we would look more like you, God, and desire to follow you in deeper and deeper ways. For me, for everyone in this room, God, would we do that? In the name of Jesus, for your glory, amen. All right, here we go. Let me show you chapter seven, just kind of how we're breaking down chapter seven. And so I'm gonna highlight some stuff um, on this cool screen here. Uh, Here's what we've got. What's gonna happen is we're gonna see a huge argument right here. Did that show up, guys? Yes, okay. 
we're going to see in the first 10 verses. So in your Bibles, I know you can't read all these, but this is the first 10 verses. And so if you're in Hebrews 7 or when you see it in the screen, I want you to realize that this really is this one big argument that he's making. And I'm going to explain what that is. But he's going to make one big argument here in the first 10 verses. And then to preview, he's going to make this second really big argument in verses 11 through 14. This is the second big argument that he makes. And it all kind of ties together for what our author has been talking about. Then he's going to mic drop right here. This is going to be, the, these are your exclamation points. That's what those are. This is a mic drop moment right here. In 15 and 16, explosion is what this is. There's explosion. There's a squiggle line that shows more explosion. Okay, <laughs> now he's then going to proof text that, and he's going to say, hey, look how this is all prophecy. So we're going to kind of paraphrase some stuff here through all the way up until verse 22. And then when he gets to verse 22, which we'll, we'll get to here in the sermon, we're going to see another mic drop moment. So these two things are really the point of what he's making. I draw all this because I want you to see a couple things. One, I, I love God's word. And I want you to see that God's word can be really intimidating, especially a book like Hebrews at times, chapter 7 of Hebrews. When I start reading it, there's going to be times, I, I mean, I went to seminary, I studied God's word, I studied the original language of the Bible, and I read chapter 7 and I'm like, what? What is he talking about? And there's so much richness there. And so I just want to break it down so that we don't drown in this, but really we, we come to life as we see what the author's doing. And so this is kind of the breakdown. A couple of big arguments. Then he's going to make his point. He's going to support that with, look, the Old Testament's been talking about it. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he's going to kind of uh, mic drop in verse 22. And so that's really where we're going. And I, I'm going to reference back to that here every once in a while. Um, but before I read verses 1 through 10 in this first argument that he's making, we got to understand the context uh, that he's speaking to the reader. We've got to understand the argument that he's making and put you in the reader's shoes. And so um, here we go. Here's my attempt at that. The author of Hebrews is writing to an audience that are, are Jews, also known as Hebrews, hence the name of the book, Hebrews. And he's writing to a whole group of people who are Hebrews and Jews by birth and have followed God in a very specific way. The Old Testament uh, in our Bibles was how they interacted with God. And so they walked with God and there was this entire system of how they walked uh, with God. And then Jesus shows up, changes everything. These Hebrews converted to Christianity, but now a generation or two into their faith, they're starting to think, well, wait a second. Maybe Jesus isn't that big of a deal. Maybe we need to go back to the old way we used to interact with God. So I'm a really visual person. Those of you guys who have been around me know that. So I'm going to have to have a lot of illustrations today. Also, I get a lot of use out of these stanchions, I feel like. <clears throat> so what I want to do is I want to illustrate uh, this, because if we don't understand the concept of what's happening, um, then he's going to make arguments, and we're going to be like, cool, that really wasn't the argument I was making, so I don't really understand why that's important. So here we have the timeline of history. Ready for this? Beginning of time. All the way here. Here's our middle point. That was about 2,000 years ago. That's going to be important. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now we have from 2,000 years up to present day. <clears throat> uh, where's my cool cards? Okay, check this out. Got a lot of props today. This right here is the Old Covenant. If you got your Bibles, the first half of your Bible is the Old Testament um, also, we're going to refer to it because the author of Hebrews refers to it in this way as the old covenant. And then he's going to talk about the new covenant, right? 
which also we, we now talk about in some ways as the New Testament. But the author of Hebrews uses these terms, so we're going to use these terms. There was an old covenant. There was a new covenant. Anyone want to guess what happened in the middle? Yes! That is almost always the right answer, guys. Almost always the right answer. Right? This is all, we're tracking with this. This makes sense. This makes sense to everybody, right? We can't get Jesus crooked. How are we looking? Crooked? Decent? Good enough? Okay, good. Good. Can you guys see Jesus? Yeah, I want you guys to see Jesus also. So this is what we have, right? This is the timeline of history. This is what we're working with. So God interacted in a very specific way, right? In the Old Testament, he, he worked in a very specific way to how he interacted with his people. And he said, this is how my people interact with me. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and he changed everything. He changed everything. So now we have this new covenant. So the book of Hebrews is being written really early right here where you've got a lot of people who, who have been introduced with Jesus, converted to Christianity, are like, oh my gosh, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they were talking about. But all of a sudden, there is this real fear to drift back into the old way. That's what we're looking at. Question. I think it's an interesting question. Maybe it's not interesting to you. How did people pre-Jesus get saved? Right? If, we're, if, if we believe that we are saved by Christ, and that's what saves us, and this relationship with Jesus is what saves us, if we're Christians, we put our faith in Christ, then pre-Jesus, how did people get saved? Post-Jesus, we are saved now by grace, through faith, not of works. That's what we see in Scripture, that now we are saved by a gracious God, not because, like what Nathan said in the welcome, not because we got all our stuff together, not because we're churchy enough and religious enough and moral enough and we keep the checklist. No, no, no. We, our works, our best days are still filthy rags to a holy God. And he says, yep, but I love you anyway and I will adopt you out of my grace and I will send Christ to pay for all those things. And so we are saved by grace through faith. Jesus is my only hope for purity for my life for my surrender to to Christ that is my only hope is putting my faith in Jesus and I am saved by that grace pre-Jesus they were saved by grace through faith that one day God will come one day our Savior will purify us and so they had this system right they had the system of how they interacted with God and they had the sacrificial system and they had um animals that they would go in a tabernacle that they would go and they would sacrifice animals and they had a specific very specific priests that are all going to tie in here to Hebrews 7 they would have priests that would have to go on their behalf before God and so they had this very what we would now look at as kind of old and antiquated and praise God we don't come into common grounds and sacrifice animals praise God that that's not a part of our worship how we get gnarly um, but thousands of years ago that's what God set up he set up this way to say this is how I want you um, to function, right? This is how I want you to do it. And so he gave them this thing, last card here, he gave this, this thing called the law. And so the law was under this covenant. And it was the system in which you interact with me, God, always knowing you're sacrificing a goat in this old system through a priest. So a priest can go before you and, and forgive your sins. You do that in faith that one day, you don't have to sacrifice goats. One day you don't have to sacrifice lambs. That thousands of years ago, they were still saying, one day our Messiah will come and he will purify everything. And this is us looking forward to that day. Whereas now, we look back at that day. Tracking with me here? It's really important that we understand this if we're going to really unpack how Hebrews 7 changes our college experience. Um, and so that's what we have here. We have the law. 
Another word, let me get more complicated here. Another word for the law, right, is the Levitical system. And so even if you've ever seen in the Bible, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? The Levitical system is another word of saying, this is the law. This is an entire book, which you should study in your devotional sometime. It is a beating, man. It is an entire book full of like, here's how you do it, and you got to do this, and you got to clean your hands in this way, and you got to bring this, and then if you sacrifice a dove, and if you do it on the wrong day, it's, and, it's, and it is like the textbook for these people of, man, this is how holy our God is and how we must approach him through these very specific priests. And you had very specific priests, only very specific priests, who were able to do that on behalf of all of us. And those priests were called Levites. Hence the idea, the Levitical law. Only a Levite could do that, which we're going to circle back around and get to that later. So here we go. We're already overwhelmed. We're not even into verse one, okay? You tracking me? You got to see big picture if we're going to be able to zoom into the text. So um, with that in mind, we've got converts now thinking, they follow Jesus, but they're thinking about going back to the old way. Maybe this old priestly Levi, you know, the Levitical priests and the way we used to do it. Maybe this is what we need to drift back to. I don't know if Jesus is authoritative enough. You know, we had these Levitical priests and they came from a long line. There was a lot of tradition. Our guy, our author here in Hebrews says, let me start dropping some brilliant arguments of why that's a bad idea. Verse one through verse 10. Here it goes. For this Melchizedek He's going to name drop a new, a new guy here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have, commanded, have, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his uh, descendants from Abraham but this, oh, but this man who does not have his descent from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. In the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestors when Melchizedek met him makes perfect sense. You guys with me? Here's what's happening. These guys are saying maybe we should go back to the old way. And so all of a sudden we get this example of a guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is talked about in Genesis chapter 14 way back here. There's a story of Melchizedek. And so all these Hebrew people would have grown up hearing the stories of their ancestors, you know, reading those stories, and they would have known who Melchizedek was. And so he's saying, hey, Let's talk about Melchizedek as argument number one of why you shouldn't go back to the old, weird, outdated, at this point, because of Jesus, priestly system. Remember Melchizedek? He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't through your precious priestly line. Melchizedek was somebody who, Scripture says, uh, was a king, and he was also a priest, and he has this interaction with Abraham, and this is way before 
right? This is way before he even, uh, we even have a Levitical line. He's talking to Abraham before the law was really even given to us. And so we've got this guy, Melchizedek, who's massively popular, who everyone knew that guy was a really big deal. The way they talk about him is, wow, he was a huge deal. He is king of Salem. He's king of peace. His name literally means most high God. This guy was legit. And he was a priest that Abraham, who everybody would have looked up to, he gave a tenth, right, which is a tithe. He gave of his money. He gave part of his money to Melchizedek because even Abraham looked up to this guy. And so what the author is doing is we see Melchizedek, right? He was a high priest. He was not from the line of Levi, but he was incredibly well-respected in history. Just this incredibly well-respected person in history. And so this kind of confusing argument in the first 10 verses of chapter 10, um, in the first 10 verses of chapter 7 is really to say there's precedent. If you're a debater or a law student or a pre-law student, you get this. There's precedent that, that, we, would, that we would have maybe somebody who doesn't come from this legal line of Levi that would be worth it, all right? So he says, I'm offering that into evidence. Now, they would have been really confused because they would have said only somebody from the line of Levi can be a priest. There were 12 tribes of Israel. The entire nation was made up of these 12 tribes. One of them was called Levi, right? And if you were a Levite, then that means you could be a priest. Only a Levite could be a priest. And so it's like, okay, cool. Only the Levites. Well, Jesus, and it talks about it here, doesn't come from the line of Levi. Jesus, who they're all now following, comes from the line of Judah, which we're going to tie in a little bit later. But that was, a, that was real controversial at the time. And here's the case, and he says, well, hey, He's incredibly well-respected, and we follow him, so maybe Jesus isn't any different. Maybe that gives us precedent to be able to follow Jesus. I'm going to jump into argument number two, and then we're going to tie it all together. Stay with me. Here we go. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, if it would have worked, if this old way could have actually perfected you, Right? If, if it would have been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arrive after the order of Melchizedek, kind of like Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? And when there is a charge in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law. When there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe for which no one has ever served at the altar. Jesus was from Judah. He didn't serve at the altar. He wasn't supposed to be a priest. People from Judah weren't supposed to be able to do that. That was only the Levites. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that, the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. So here we have this idea of, okay, is Jesus really worth following because of all of this old Hebrew stuff that for us in this room, we're like, okay, I don't understand how this is relevant. Stay with me. It's massively relevant. But we're, we're wondering, okay, what do we do with all this stuff? Here's a couple things we see. This was always the plan. He, he says it in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable under the law, then we wouldn't have needed this, but we needed it because the law was never meant to be how we live our lives. Today, we're not designed to live under the law. The law was to point people to Jesus, to, to realize I come up short. I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not perfect enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not holy enough. I need a Savior to be able to clean me. And so this was always the plan, always the plan. And then we get something better. Here's where it gets really good. Verse 15 and 16, we get something better than all of this. Verse 15. 
This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who's referring to Jesus, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Let's leave those verses up on the screen. Um, Here's what our author is saying. He's saying, hey, Jesus is better than Melchizedek. We have a new priest, another priest. Verse 15, now we have a new priest arises. He didn't come from the Levites. He came from Judah, right? But he is better. And look at his resume. Verse 16, who has become a priest not based on the legal requirement, so not because his grandfather. This is Jesus' resume. A a Levite, an old priest, would have said, I'm a priest because my great-grandfather was a priest, because my grandfather was a priest, because my dad is a priest. I am a priest. I'm in the genealogy, the line of Levites. So that's what makes me a priest. That's my resume. Jesus says, cool, 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 cool. Uh, I'm a priest because I got murdered and I came back to life. Way better of a resume, right? If you apply for jobs out of college and you're like, I was 4.0 and I got this and I did that and it's, and it's good and you put your job application and somebody else puts a job application, it's like I died and came back to life and I called it. I, I said I was going to die and then I said I was going to come back to life. I don't care what the other person, you're going to get hired. Like that is going to be a sweet resume boost. Uh, don't do that because you're not the Messiah. But you get the idea, right? You get the idea. That's what he says. It's a total mic drop moment where he says, for who has become a priest, not on the basis of his legal requirement, I don't care that I'm not a Levite, but actually concerning the bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That's what Jesus is, this indestructible life. And he changes everything. And something so fascinating about the line that Jesus came from, remember it wasn't Levi, it was Judah. And Judah was the line that kings came from. That was the line that kings came from. That was the line of King David in the Old Testament, this massive figure. He was in the line of Judah. Jesus, is, Jesus was in the line of Judah, which is why we talk about Jesus as this priest and king. He is better. He is better, and he's got the resume to prove it. Then then verses 17 through 21, I'm just going to paraphrase them for you. That's where it looks back into the Old Testament. It says, hey, remember we called this. We called our shot in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we prophesied that Jesus was going to come. He was going to come out of a different line. This makes sense. He is who we've always been looking for. That's who Jesus is. He is who we have always been looking for. And then verse 22. Verse 22, which is this bottom verse here in this section. Um, this, is, this is where he really punches home his argument. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is better. That is the point of Hebrews chapter 7. There's this whole thing about this guy named Melchizedek who, who he was a big deal and he kind of reminded people of Jesus and he wasn't a Levite and so we give him props so why don't we give Jesus props and then they might drop and they say because he was always the fulfillment of who he was supposed to be. Um, Jesus is better. And why is he better? Because he was always the plan. That's why. Right? Jesus is the only option that would have ever worked. And that was always the plan that he would do so. The plan and the way that we can now approach and know God right now in your life, the way that you can approach and know God in your college life or in your young adult life or in your career life is through Christ. That was always the plan in the Old Testament. That was always the plan in Scripture. And that's what Hebrews is saying is this was always the idea. 
This is what we were designed for. He is better. And not just because he was always the plan, but because he is this prophet and this king. He is a king and a prophet. And what that means, the fact that Jesus came not just from this Levitical line, but that he's king and prophet, it means that Jesus is approachable as the priest in your life. I I talked about it a few weeks ago in Hebrews, this idea that, um, praise God, that you don't need me, right? As a pastor, I, I have a really valuable role in your life and I take it really seriously Um, but what God has done is he has now said hey I want to meet directly with you you don't need Ben you don't need Ben to be able to get to me I've given you my word I've given you my spirit and if you have put your faith in Jesus then that means you can approach me you can be in relationship with me and so then my role and church's roles and pastors and people who disciple you, their role is just to push you towards Jesus, not to be the intermediary between you and Jesus. Just an encouragement to say, come along, look what I'm seeing. Hey, watch this, and how's this working out in your life? And that's what our role gets to be because he is an approachable priest who goes before and says, you are forgiven for all that you have done and will do. That's how gracious he is. But also simultaneously, he is king and he is ruler and he is authoritative at all. He's not just a priest in the corner who's there to just help you with your sins when you're feeling overwhelmed. He is also king and ruler of your life, of this world and of those who would submit to him and those who wouldn't submit to them. But there's going to be two paths, those who say, I see you as king and I submit or I don't. And he is this gracious king who saves us and redeems us and by grace says, I love you. Come and walk in relationship with me. And we say, but we, we aren't keeping the rules well enough. And he says, yeah, that's not, that's not how you buy into a relationship. You buy into a relationship with me by just surrendering, by putting your faith in me. And we will work those things out. Surrender to me as king through faith. Do you believe that? Have you surrendered? There's a call to action here in Hebrews. A call to action to say, man, have we done this? And not just have we accepted Jesus, right? I, I, don't, I don't know exactly where that term comes in Christianity, but I know it gets thrown around. Well, I just accept Jesus. Or Jesus is the Christian category or maybe the worldview that I check. But, but Scripture calls us to something so much more than just accepting Jesus. It, it calls us to surrender. He is a king. He is a king that we surrender to. We pledge our allegiance to. Okay, what do we do with all this, right? What, what do we do with all of this, with all of these arguments? Um, I get it. The reality is very few people walked in here this morning with a huge hang-up of, man, I'm really tempted to go back to sacrificing goats. I'm just on the fence, man. If this sermon doesn't really speak directly to the goat sacrifice thing, I'm out. I realized that was a very limited number of people in here. Maybe Francis, and that was it. That was maybe the only guy in here. Love you, Francis. Um, right, so how does this apply to us, right? What do we do with this as 18 through whatever, right? What do we do with, with this? Jesus is a better priest. He offers us a better way to do this thing, to walk with him. And we're not in danger of falling into this old Levitical law legal system. But listen to me. We have false systems. Hebrews 7 is a great case study on what one false system looks like, right? It looks like the old way, and there's all this legalism, and you got to sacrifice animals, and it's all this stuff, and it's the entire Old Testament, and i got to follow all these rules, and i got to have a priest do this stuff in the, right? It is a great case study of that. Maybe that's not what you struggle with. Probably not what you struggle with. 
but there is a system in which you are submitting to. Whether we know it or not, mostly unconscious to me, I drift into systems with false kings and false priests that I find my satisfaction in, that I find my worth and my identity and my belonging in, and I don't even know that I'm doing it. And so that's where I want to go. I want us to really talk. If we just see this as a Bible history lesson, right, um, a deep dive into Scripture without applying it to your life today, then you have missed a really important step. So let me ask this question. What false system do you find yourself drifting into? And let me give you some examples. And then I encourage you to really do some introspective, introspective work to say, man, are there, are there some just worldviews that I'm actually resting in outside of Jesus Maybe unconscious, usually unconscious. Here's a couple examples. One of them is this false system uh, of achievement, right? This idea that my, my king, my God, my goal becomes what can I achieve? We do this uh, academically. Um, we do it vocationally. And all of a sudden, the false God or the false king that isn't going to, to eventually hold up to this becomes I need to achieve. I need to get that job. I need to get that grade. I need to, I need to achieve those things. And so those become this, um, this false system in which this is how I'm approaching my satisfaction and, and my identity and who I am. And my king is how much I can accomplish and how successful I am and the job I get or the grad program I get into. And then we have these false priests, which is the world around us that gives us these grades and these, these, this world around us becomes these false priests that then evaluate us and rank us and show us those grades. And, and hear me say, that's not evil. Succeeding, having great jobs, succeeding in school, doing really good, uh, doing your best possible work, those are all very God-honoring, okay? So don't hear me say academics is bad, right? The world's bad. Let's all go be hobos for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying, right? Those things aren't evil, they're just not designed to be our king. They're not designed to be our king. And so they're good. You should do them. You should work hard. You should pour your life out and, and achieve whatever you can for God's glory. As someone who is submitted to the Lord to say, I want to live my life in a way that honors him and I want to work my tail off and I want to do my best. But when it becomes our king, that's when we get debilitated by anxiety. We get debilitated and overwhelmed because all of a sudden we've realized this isn't just a pursuit for me as a healthy, God-fearing man or woman. This has become my king. And it won't last. And it won't fulfill. And it won't satisfy. And it will be broken just like Hebrews 7 says the old way is broken. It will not satisfy. Another, another one that we do all the time. I do. I, I mean, I still do. I still do all of these. I still find myself drifting into these all the time um, is acceptance, right? The idea that acceptance becomes our system in which I find my value. How much people like me socially, how accepted I am, how welcome I am. And, and we see that again, not bad. We should want friends and all of those good things. But when they become a false king and then all of a sudden we have these, uh, these false these false priests that we say, this is how we're going to get there. This is how I'm going to get accepted. And it becomes what everyone else says. It becomes our peer group and what they say. And so we look to them to validate, to show us, how do I get to this place of acceptance? How do I get included or welcomed? How do I get liked? Right, we do this in relationships all the time. Relationships, God designed them. They're good. They're 
good. They're just not meant to be our kings. And we start dating that girl, and we start dating that guy. And all of a sudden, that's our hope. That's our identity. That is who satisfies us. They become the priest. That, that I need from them. They're going to make me feel complete. And eventually, that's going to let us down. Because that's so much pressure. Right? That's so much pressure to put on that relationship to say, man, you're going to be my king. You're going to be where I find myself. You're going to be my system for where I find fulfillment. And that's dangerous. And if anyone's ever gone through a really hard breakup, you know what that feels like. And you know what it feels like when all of a sudden you re- revealed, oh no, that was more than just a relationship, right? That was, that, I mean, that was, that was my, my king. That was my God. My priest. There was worship attached. There was things that I had given my heart to that, that weren't designed to be able to be stabilized in that relationship. And that's so hard. And it reveals in us, man, that wasn't a system that worked, but at the time it was intoxicating. In college, it's so intoxicating to be in community and to climb that and to make more friends, all good things, just not designed to be our king. Third one, um, I'm going to give you four. The third one is um, self-gratification. And, uh, and this, is, this is big. And I think, I, I don't know if it's unique in college, but I certainly think you guys live in a unique vacuum where you are told from a lot of different angles just do whatever you want. Have fun. Go wild. Do what, get it out of your system in college. College is the time for you to go and to do whatever you think is going to make you feel really good. And that's a really dangerous vacuum to live in if that becomes the narrative. And what it's going to do is it's going to produce in people a system that this is my system. My system is whatever it takes to make myself feel good. Not necessarily as driven by academics, although those are good. Maybe not necessarily driven by social status, although that's not bad either. I wouldn't mind that. But driven by, man, on a weekend, on any given night, what is going to make me feel the best? And that's a system that's going to be unsustainable. And I've walked with college students for over a decade. It's unsustainable. Our priests of how we get there, these false priests are us. Whatever I want to do, that's my authority. That's my authority. If this is what I want to do, well, then it can't be that wrong. I'm going to pursue that. And I'm going to surround myself with other people who are going to affirm that. And if there's other people that are like, oh, no, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's good. I think that's unsustainable. Then I'm going to isolate myself from them. I'm going to, I'm going to reject them. I'm going to you know, make fun of them. I'm going, to, I'm going to somehow remove myself from that and be surrounded with people who say, yeah, we're going to do whatever feels good and we're going to chase after those things. And and, and sometimes it comes and goes, right? And, and it's this subtle system that all of a sudden we feel like, okay, we're not under Jesus as king. We're under me as king. Whatever I want to do on any given weekend, we're under me as king. And that's not sustainable either. It's not sustainable and it's not a system that God designed. It's not going to work. All of these things, Jesus is saying, I'm better than those things. I am better than all of those things, all of those ways. And then uh, lastly, make no mistake, I, I want to put religion up there because I think just as much religion can become a system. We saw it even, even here with the Old Testament. This idea that, um, okay, I don't go and do all this crazy stuff on the weekends. I'm pretty, I'm pretty mild there and I, I know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. And um, I've got a healthy balance of how I see community and relationships, and I've got a healthy balance for how I work hard in school, but I don't make it my, like, idol that I've, I've got to do it. 
I think so many of us, um, it becomes moralism, it becomes religion, it becomes, man, I'm going to check the boxes. I'm going to find my identity, not in what Christ has done for me, but in what I've done for Christ. Look at all that I've done. And all of a sudden, we've traded what should have been a relationship with a king priest who draws near to us. And we've traded what should have been a relationship to this transactional thing called religion where we we buy into this mistake that isn't from Scripture, that if I do my part, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to check these boxes, then he's going to give me these feelings. And he says, no, I adopted you, I want you, but not to follow a list, to be in a relationship with me, to sit with me. There's a psalm that talks about being in his courts, that that I I want you to want me to be the one thing, the one thing that you would want to draw near to me, that I am your king and that you would submit to me. There are so many traps we fall into that are so sneaky and they're so subtle and I do it all the time. I, I find myself in every single one of these categories, any given week, drifting from what Christ has said to say, let me be enough for you, walk closer with me, let me be enough for you, Ben, and I drift into all of these systems that we realize, but he's better, and they don't last, and they're not sustainable, and they're not fulfilling, and they're not satisfying because it's not his plan, and because it's not what I'm designed for, and I drift, and so my hope and my encouragement is we see all of this from Hebrews 7, this massive chapter, and we walk out of here, and we say, Lord, would you show me would you show me where are the things that I put my hope in that are not you? What are the systems, what are the, what are the false priests that I find looking for my identity? What are the false kings that I find submitting my life to that aren't you? God, would you show me? Would that be your prayer today? Um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of time to even pray here uh, as the band comes up. And in fact, the band can go ahead and come on up. Um, and I wanna give you a couple minutes to just go before the Lord. And if, and if that's new to you or weird to you, then you have nothing to lose to say, God, show me. Show me some of those areas that I drift. Show me some of those areas that I don't run to you in relationship. I run to these other things. God, would you reveal those things and then would you give me the faith to believe that you are better, to believe that you are really just the one thing that I want. I don't need all of these other things that I just want, I just need you. And investigate that and call our bluff and chase after Jesus. And if you say, how do I know that Jesus is really the right way? I dare you, just chase after him. Let me read verse 23 through 25 over you. It's the next section in Hebrews 7 here. This is what it says. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The old way, man, things come and they go and we try things and a priest comes and he doesn't last and he dies. That's what happens when it's just the worldly system. But he holds his priesthood, Jesus, permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession to them. We have a God, we have a priest and a king in the person of Jesus Christ who says no matter how far you have gone, no matter how far you have wandered, no matter what other things that you find your satisfaction and your fulfillment and your identity in, in those things that we drift to, we have a God who has gone to the further, the uttermost parts to say, I love you. You don't have to work your way back to me. 
You don't have to, oh man, I've really wandered a long way. I don't know much. I don't understand. There's so much I don't know. He says, I will meet you where you are and I will adopt you because of my grace. That's who we have. That is our king. That is our priest. Pray with me. Father, as, um, as these uh, brothers and sisters sit here in this room, uh, God, would you just meet us in this place and convict us, Lord? Uh, would you show us what are the areas, Lord, that um, we find our satisfaction in things that are not you? Uh, God, what are the things that, um, that we do, God, uh, that show and reveal that our hope is not in you? Uh, we're not chasing after you. We're chasing after all these other things that won't last. So, Lord, I just pray uh, in the name of Jesus, you just be kind and you show us those things. Not because you want us to feel bad today and um, feel beat up, but because you're good and you're gracious. And your conviction, God, we see as sweet and we see as loving. Reveal those today. And will we sit and will we be still with you for just even the next couple of minutes? And as you show them to us, um, would we also hear your kindness calling us to something better? calling us to that one thing that we really are designed for, which is you, God. We're surrounded by so many distractions, but you are really the one thing that we actually need, that actually satisfies. Help our hearts believe that truth, Father. Holy Spirit, mature our hearts, deepen the roots of our hearts so we might see you, fall more in love with you, ultimately be changed by you. You are gracious. You are kind, You don't hold our sin against us, and we are so grateful. Would we sit, and would we be still before you, and would we listen 